Military Veterans in Journalism proudly presents Sword and Pen. Welcome to Sword and Pen, a Military Veterans in Journalism podcast dedicated to military veterans working in journalism or pursuing journalism careers after they got out. I am your host, Lori King. For this episode, retired U.S. Army officer and Afghan war veteran Thomas Bruns shares his correspondence with Mohammed, an Afghan translator he helped get a special immigrant visa in 2009. Mohammed takes us through his family's harrowing tale of escaping Kabul after American forces abruptly pulled out of Afghanistan. It's a compelling, powerful, and timely story of danger and suspense. This is their story. Our only vital national interest in Afghanistan remains today what it has always been, preventing a terrorist attack on American homeland. The events we're seeing now are sadly proof that no amount of military force would ever deliver a stable, united, secure Afghanistan as known in history as the Graveyard of Empire. I am President of the United States of America, and the buck stops with me. My name is Tom Bruns. I'm an Afghan war veteran. I've done 10 rotations to the country between 2006 and 2011. Like most people, I was shocked when I heard about the fall of Kabul. For months, Pundits had been predicting that the Taliban would be unable to capture Afghanistan's urban areas. But one by one, major cities across Afghanistan came under their control in a matter of days as Afghan security forces simply melted away. As I saw this play out, I worried about all the Afghans who had worked with us, uh, who had trusted us to have their backs if the time ever came. I thought about my friend Muhammad, the first of five translators who I had supported in their efforts to get special immigrant visas available to Afghan and Iraqi translators. Muhammad received his visa in 2009 and now lives in the U.S. I wondered what he thought of the unfolding crisis, so I wrote him an email and asked whether he'd be interested in sharing. I didn't hear back from him for four days, but when I did, I was shocked. Hello, Tom. I hope you're doing well. And sorry for my late response. Uh, I've been busy with multiple jobs and also I did not sleep in the past couple of nights, thinking and worrying about my kids, wife and mom who are in Kabul. We tried to find them an earlier flight, but there are no seats or flights in Kabul. He asked for more time to give them issue some thought because understandably he couldn't focus on much else. I told him I'd pray for the safety of his family and I asked whether his family, all U.S. citizens except for his mother, a green card holder, had contacted the U.S. Embassy already. And we began exchanging updates on Messenger. I wrote, Please instruct your family to contact the U.S. Embassy. Their job is to protect American citizens. Also, I recommend you write or call your congressman immediately. 
I already filled out repatriation assistance request form for them. Yusembazi just sent me an email. Hello. If they have already filled out the repatriation assistance request form, then please continue to wait until you hear from us. We are exploring options and will contact them as soon as we have information. American Citizen Services, Consular Section, U.S. Embassy, Kabul. My kids, wife and mom, and the rest of the family are hiding at home now, waiting for U.S. Embassy to call them. Okay, that's a normal response. They're figuring things out as far as flights, etc. Your family may have to move on short notice, so make sure they keep their phone charged and their bags packed. Oh yeah, they're all ready. I advise them uh, about their phones to, to be active and uh, charged. Uh, my break time is over. Uh, time for me to get back to work. Talk to you later. I had met Muhammad during my first deployment to Afghanistan in mid-2006. He was translating for a carpet salesman at the weekly bazaar held on the American camp. And over the next weeks and months, we'd get to know each other better. I learned that he had a college education and worked as a translator and instructor for senior military officials on behalf of the U.S. Army. He was also an accomplished poet and writer, and he was looking for a way to get his work published outside of Afghanistan. At the same time, I learned that Muhammad began to receive death threats and was hoping to leave the country for his own safety. I helped him navigate the process but it was difficult and bureaucratic. How long did your visa process end up taking? Uh, yeah, from the time I applied and to the time I received my visa, it uh, probably took me almost two years. And what were some of the problems you encountered along the way? He gave me a harrowing account of having to get across the border to Pakistan. At the time, the uh, U.S. Embassy in Kabul was not issuing visas at all. And so he saved what money he had and hired a driver and all along his trip encountered problems. Uh, Policemen would shake him down. People would insist that the uh, visa in his passport was no longer valid when of course it was. He sent me a long email and I remember just being horrified at the, the lengths that he had to go to as someone who had worked for, as a translator for us for five years just to, you know, to take advantage of what we were offering. But his persistence eventually paid off. In July 2009, he told me he would be leaving in a week. So I invited him to the July 4th barbecue being held on the ISAF camp. He arrived wearing his best seersucker suit and carrying his belongings in a plastic sack. our conversation that day oh yeah uh, i remember we talked about how life would be challenging at first in america i asked you if uh, i should pack cowboys pants and i looked nervous and when you suggested that uh, in time uh, you would be wearing shorts and t-shirts something that would be unheard of in Kabul. i had a cheeseburger and i had no idea what to do with the mustard packets Uh, since I had never used it for my food.
When I said goodbye, I wished him the best of luck. I told him no matter how difficult things get in the United States, never give up and uh, come back out of desperation because you'll always regret it. And he, he reassured me that he would do his best. In my own mind, I have to say at the time, I wasn't so sure that he would make it. Any news? Uh, received an email uh, from the embassy asking the family to come to the airport. Uh, they went to the airport. Uh, there were hundreds of people. Someone from outside of airport fired toward my son and the people who were beside him were injured. They released tear gas on them a few times. Uh, there were loss of gunfire and they left and uh, went back home to shelter. I'm in touch with the U.S. Ambassador, an American uh, who's trying her best through her friends to help if possible. Uh, my family will be leaving home later soon to go to the airport again. Uh, let's pray for their safety. And my, and my wife was crying. And you know what? She was saying that uh, she doesn't want to die out there. It was so heartbreaking. Mohammed, I am so sorry. I can't imagine how tough this must be. I hope you're letting your employer know. This is a huge burden for one person. There's probably little I can do, but if you can think of anything, don't hesitate to ask. Thanks, I'm hopeful. There's always a day after a night. The next day, Mohammed sent me a nine minute video someone had recorded at the Kabul airport and posted online. It showed Afghan soldiers beating back crowds that were pressing to try and get access to the airport. They were likely trying to avoid a repetition of the incident that had made the rounds on social media days earlier in which Afghans were seen clinging to an Air Force C-17. They were frustrated and tired. Eventually they'd begin firing into the air to get people to back up. I could only imagine what Muhammad must be thinking as he imagined his own family facing those same conditions, not knowing whether they'd ever make it home. Are they still getting comms from the embassy? They're still there for the fourth day and uh, have not been able to get help or get inside the airport. Yes, but are they still getting communications from the embassy? If they haven't heard anything in a while, they should call again to make sure they're still on the list. No communication. Um, we have sent emails to the U.S. Embassy. They're out there by the crowds. It's a mess. They're sending consular officers from other embassies to help. I suggest they call the phone number on travel.state.gov again, or you call it. Make sure they were not marked as a no-show when they were pushed back. Okay, I will do. Thanks. I'm calling now. I knew the soldiers guarding the airfield were probably getting jittery. And of course, we know in hindsight that they had good reason to be jittery. To them, the people in the crowd probably all looked the same. There had been reports that the Taliban had been detaining and beating people trying to reach the airport. And I knew that Afghan Americans making the trip would do their best to try and blend in to avoid attracting attention. But once they reached the crowd surrounding the airport... There was no obvious way to distinguish American citizens from desperate Afghans just trying to escape Kabul. 
I just called. Uh, they're saying that uh, they do not have any information. They asked me to email that Kabul ACS at state.gov, which I usually do, but it has not been beneficial to help my family. They said that they also uh, cannot check if they are on the list or not. Okay, but please do me a favor and email them every 24 hours. Okay. I'll continue to do that. My mom fainted yesterday and they took her to the doctor and the kids were dehydrated. My mom is feeling better now and they are by the embassy at Northeast Gate now. Keep pushing them. This is when you need to be the squeaky wheel. I know they're doing their best, but they're overwhelmed. I've been doing that 24 seven, no sleep for the last three nights. I was worried about Mohammed. Up until now, hard work had brought results for him, and he believed in America more than a lot of native-born Americans that I knew. When Muhammad first arrived in country, finding work had been difficult. Eventually, out of desperation, he had signed on with a contractor and gone back to Afghanistan as a translator, this time with frontline troops rather than in garrison. He eventually saved enough money to buy a house get his master's degree, and get married. For years, he had worked to get his parents safely to the United States, but his father's case constantly stalled due to red tape. When at last it seemed his visa would be approved, Muhammad's father was asked to update his medical exam, and doctors discovered a problem in his lungs. And by the time things were sorted out, the pandemic had struck, and President Trump had put all immigrations on hold. My father died due to severe dementia and bronchitis on August last year. And it has made me uh, sad not seeing him for a long time and being away from him. We miss him. He, he was a great father to all of us. He was my first English teacher when I was a baby and encouraged me through school to just focus on my studies and not worry about anything else. Muhammad's mother lives with him, his wife, and his two young children. He believes in the American dream and works more than 100 hours a week in search of a better life for his family. It was not in my father's destiny to come to the U.S. I believe it was for his good uh, because uh, it was very hard uh, or maybe impossible to carry his body to Kabul during COVID-19 pandemic. He wanted to be buried uh, beside his parents in Kabul. On Monday, a week after I had first reached out to Muhammad, I wrote him again on Messenger. I held my breath as I waited for his response. Thanks for your support and prayers. I and my American friends, use military personnel, use the State Department personnel, have worked nights and days non-stop in the past seven days and tried to find a way and eventually, we rescued my wife, Kate, and my mom from Kabul to safety. They were evacuated by U.S. military charter planes to Qatar last night. They are on a U.S. military base in Qatar now and are waiting for other American planes to fly them out, either to Germany, Kuwait, and then to the U.S. I did not sleep for one week, but I'm so relieved and I feel better since last night. I'll keep you posted whenever my family get home in Virginia. 
Let's pray for all our U.S. military service members, all the U.S. Department of State staff, Americans and our allies who are in Afghanistan to return home safe and sound. May God bless you and the United States of America. Since Muhammad's family safely made it out of Afghanistan, of course a lot has happened. The United States has left Afghanistan, and the folks left behind have no idea what their future is going to be like. After his own family safely returned home, I talked to Muhammad to get his thoughts on the ongoing situation. What are your thoughts concerning the events of the last few weeks in Afghanistan? I was so terrified and shocked. Uh, with the collapse of Afghanistan's government and the Taliban entering Kabul with so little uh, resistance. The fears and chaos that took Kabul city with tens of thousands of uh, people from many different countries and mostly Afghans trying to leave the country uh, to safety. After 20 years of service by our youth men and women and Afghan allies and the number of youth military and Afghan linguists sacrifices trying to help and make the country better. After uh, over two trillion of dollars spent by the United States of America and billions by the world community to build infrastructure in Afghanistan, such as roads, hospitals, clinics, universities, communication systems, and especially Afghan defense forces to defend the country, and furthermore, a human rights and democracy. I would not judge it, but uh, I believe history will blame Afghan leaders and politicians as the main factor behind the country's collapse and surrounding the cities to Taliban in a matter of days. I could not sleep in the past few weeks I was so worried about my family and siblings and my American friends and our Afghan allies who helped us in the past two decades, shoulder to shoulder in the battlefield and the innocent Afghan kids out there in Afghanistan not knowing what's going on. Afghan Americans trusted President Joe Biden, but based on the situation, they lost faith in him for trusting that the Afghan government of Mohammed Ashraf Ghani uh, would resist Taliban insurgents. They expected him to plan a much stronger exit strategy from Afghanistan and to leave no one behind. I'm sure you still have friends and relatives in Afghanistan. What challenges are they currently facing? Yeah, I have my siblings and other relatives in Afghanistan, and they are facing a number of challenges. Uh, my sister's husband, who worked for the U.S. Embassy via one of the U.S. companies, is already cleared for the SIV, but their Afghan passports have expired in the hands of U.S. Embassy during pandemic. Uh, yeah. He was he sent several emails to the U.S. Embassy, and they told him, oh, due to pandemic, we cannot see you like here at the embassy to give your passports, but uh, we're going to reschedule your interview. They rescheduled their interview. And look what happened. They tried several times to get close to the airport, but the crowd pushed them and hurt them several times. They spent some nights on the streets and sheltering 
around uh, Hamid Karzai International Airport for the hope of getting close to the gate. And he couldn't get by the gate uh, to go inside the airport and he's left behind them. Why do you think your um, siblings are currently in danger? When I was working in Afghanistan between the years of 2004 to 2009 in Kabul for the US military, I was uh, living in the same house as my siblings did at that time. My brother and other siblings were protecting me and supporting me to continue my partnership and work with the US military. Uh, we are terrified that they are suffering because of me supporting and working for the US government. They have been contacted by the Taliban and told them that they would be coming back for them when the Americans are gone. They also had the required papers and tried several times to get close to the gate, but they have not been successful. So what did you do? I and many of my American friends contacted the U.S. Embassy in Kabul, U.S. State Department, U.S. military to see if they can help somehow. Uh, we were told that they need to get to the gates so that the U.S. military will help them. But due to large crowds and chaos, they could not get close to the gate to see an American soldier. Can you tell me a little bit about just the the general conditions in Kabul right now, as, as far as you know, as far as what you've been hearing from your relatives? Uh, the banks and Western unions are closed and people cannot access their money in Kabul to buy food, travel, or pay their rent and bills. Uh, those people who depended on their relatives and families to help them from overseas, they cannot get any assistance and are suffering to feed their families and kids. Many people are facing food insecurity. People are hiding due to the threat they're facing from Taliban. Most women are staying home because they were told by Taliban not to go to work until further notice. TV stations programs have changed. There are no longer Indian uh, Turkish TV shows with dramas, but instead there are other more Islamic TV shows aired and many women who were working and appearing on the TV, they are no longer working. Uh, based on the news, not only the people face the threats of Taliban, but they are also facing the threats from the Islamic State of Khorasan, as we were witness of the recent attack by Hamid Karzai International Airport gate in Kabul. There is uncertainty for the future of international assistance and uh, the future economy of Afghanistan. Emergency stocks are running out and the borders are closed for a lot of merchants to carry their goods. Do you think the uh, Taliban have the ability to govern? If they don't have the support of international community, I mean, how can they, you know, like, it's going to be very hard for them because they don't have money to like pay for the employees. They don't have money to like even like they would say the people all oh, keep, keep on working, but the people want money. Yeah, yeah. They want to be paid. And right now they're going to the people's houses, asking people to like, uh, you know, like give them food. But how, you know, like people would trust them that, okay, if I work, you know, like, let's say, 
you know, will they give us, you know, like our salary or not? So that's how local Afghans will think. God knows it's very dark. The future of Afghanistan looks very dark. Does the United States or, or other countries that were in the ISAF mission, do, does any country have an obligation toward the people of Afghanistan? I believe all those Afghans who are locally employed by the U.S. military or U.S. government and directly or indirectly supported our U.S. projects or missions in Afghanistan. And siblings of those Afghans whose lives are at risk should be evacuated from Afghanistan and given a chance to immigrate to the U.S. if they are cleared. No one should be left behind. They have helped us and it's our time to help them save their lives. A lot of Afghans right now, you know, like they have all the documentation. They have the recommendation letters from their uh, military POCs. Uh, they have certificates, they have uh, pictures. Uh, but they're still out there in Afghanistan, abandoned. I mean, you remember how long the visa process took. Uh, you know, it takes a couple of years to get cleared through the system. Um, what What do you think should be done about people who, who started the process but are still normally a long way from being cleared? If they're not cleared yet, then they should be taken to a third country for a vetting processing until they're cleared to come to the United States of America. Uh, there's a still time to save our Afghan allies by uh, creating a safe zone area in Kabul and provide and provide them a safe passage to travel to travel out of Afghanistan. We need to hold their hands and take them out of darkness and deep ditch, as they did help us in the past 20 years in Afghanistan. At the end, I would like to profoundly appreciate thank and pay tribute to those who have helped and supported me, my family, Americans, their families, Afghans who have partnered with us in the past 20 years and other Afghans at risk. Evacuation of my family and my mom would not have been possible without the assistance of so many wonderful people in the U.S. military, diplomats and civilians who are working around the clock at the airport in Kabul and various sites and facilities. I have uh, one particular fr a friend, Batsy Kammer, that worked nonstop for about one week, nights and days with many of her family members and US military friends to make sure my family safely entered the airport and arrived home. She and other retired colonels whom I worked with in Afghanistan. They tried their best to evacuate my siblings from Afghanistan, uh, but we could not. I can't thank uh, them enough for their support. Uh, however, we have not been successful yet on evacuating my siblings, but we're still hopeful that the United States government rapidly build a plan for the safety and security of all those left behind. Again, thank you all and uh, may God bless you and the United States of America. Since recording our interview, Muhammad's mother, wife, and children have safely returned to the United States. I'd like to say a big thank you to Muhammad for sharing his story with us. We've used only his first name in the interest of protecting his siblings who remain in hiding 
in Afghanistan. My name is Tom Bruins. Thank you for listening. This story was made possible because of the Military Veterans in Journalism podcast workshop, led by Matthew Orr, an assistant professor at Northwestern University's Medill School of Journalism, and also taught by Jonathan House, a journalist and podcast producer. The six-hour workshop taught critical skills needed to report, produce, script, and edit podcasts or audio stories. Participants had the opportunity to produce their own segment, taking an original idea from a pitch to the final project with instructor supervision at every step. I want to thank Thomas, who is also a documentary filmmaker and student at UC Berkeley's Graduate School of Journalism, and his friend Mohammed for telling their story to the military veterans and journalism audience. Stay tuned to our next episode, brought to you by co-host Drew Lawrence, who talks with War Horse Managing Editor Kelly Kennedy about obeying authority as a service member and then transitioning into media and questioning authority. That episode airs October 1st. I am your host, Lori King. Thank you for listening to Sword and Pen. You've been listening to Sword and Pen, a military veterans in journalism podcast. Thank you.